This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for Friday. It's the 10th of February, 2023. And coming up, has video killed the radio star? You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Hello, hope you're well today. Yes, I am catching up today with Kelly and Ramea from the Kelly and Ramea Show on AMI-tv and on AMI-audio to find out about their switch to television, how that's gone for them. Ever since they started the show back in January on TV, I thought, I want to get them on and I just want to know about how that's changed for them, having to do the show on TV as well as doing it on radio. Because, you know, we have Double Tap TV, but it's a different show. This is, you know, this show on the AMI Audio channel is different to what's going out on Double Tap TV because it's a different show entirely. Uh, we cover a lot of similar topics, of course. It's a tech show, but, you know, it's, it's a different kind of beast. Whereas Kelly and Ramia's show is the same show on both platforms, and I just wonder how they cope with that. And also, you know, what the experience is like going from radio to TV for them. Because it is quite a shift, as we'll talk about. You know, it's quite a shift in mindset, in all the challenges that come with it. I mean, there's a lot of technical challenges that come with it. And I guess the biggest one is looking good on screen, all whilst, you know, doing your job, which can be difficult because there's so much information flying around. And for me, it's more about, am I on camera? Is my shirt covered in egg? Which it may well and probably is. So, <laughs> you know, those are the kind of things I worry about. You know, I, I don't really think too much about the, the, the technical details of the show or how it looks. I just wonder if I'm, you know, hopefully looking at the camera. That's because when I sit for doing double tap TV, I, when I'm sitting looking at the camera, I have no idea where the camera is. I know it's there somewhere in front of me, and I know I'm looking generally in its direction. But if you asked me to point out where the lens was, for example, I couldn't tell you. I know it's there somewhere. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that because I think it's it's a broader topic now. I mean, it's it used to be if you were talking about television, you were talking about getting into TV, it would be, you know, quite an exclusive conversation. But the fact is, these days, we're all on camera all the time. You go into a Zoom meeting and you're on camera, aren't you? You're in front of people all the time. And the same thoughts probably go through your mind as they do with me sitting in front of a TV camera to do a TV show. It is, you know, am I looking okay? Am I pointed at the camera? You know, are you looking at my nose? Because some of these laptops have cameras. There was, I don't know if you remember the Dell XPS. One of my first computers, actually, from Dell was a Dell XPS. And it had a webcam in it that was at the bottom left of the screen. So whenever you were in a meeting, the camera was just looking up your nose. It was the weirdest positioning of a webcam ever. I don't know why they did that. But there you go. So... We're going to catch up with Kelly and Ramia today. Looking forward to that conversation. Also today, we're going to catch up with uh, Rasheen Jackman. Now, Rasheen works for the RNIB, my old employer, uh, Royal National Institute of Blind People. Um, and they're going to be talking to us about the subject of access to work. I don't know if you've been following this. Um, internationally, this might not be a, a, as big a topic, but certainly in the UK, it's a huge topic at the moment. Access to work is the way many people who are disabled get access to services to enable them to get into work. Now, it's sometimes in the form of taxi support, so getting you to and from the job, or it could be in-work support, maybe a support worker, someone to work alongside you to assist you with the job, or it could be technology, you know, getting JAWS, getting Zoom text, you know, having a, a Braille display. Oftentimes that's how you get the support because that is, it, that government money pays for that support. So say you need a, a Braille display and an embosser. That's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost thousands of dollars. Well, Access to Work, the government scheme, can support that. And it's a scheme which has been supported by the government for many years, uh, but it is in crisis now. It is in complete crisis. But what I want to find out is, is it in crisis because of the current state of the world, that every country is in a mess and every government is trying to figure a way out of this? Or is this a uniquely British or government problem, shall we say? So we'll get into that. Rasheen Jackman joining us on the show uh, a bit later to discuss that. But hey, you know, we were going to cover the Google event because Google had an event following Microsoft's event on how Microsoft are bringing in more conversational artificial intelligence into Bing and into Microsoft Edge and all that cool stuff. 
Well, Google wanted to follow that up. They were very quick to want to follow that up and show off their new product called Bard. Uh, However, it didn't seem to go quite to plan uh, and actually cost the company $100 billion of shares. $100 billion for one mistake. Can you believe this? Got to tell you, this story is incredible. So look, Google, of course, are looking for many ways to reassure us that it is very much in front when it comes to the race for the best artificial intelligence technology, right? Because, you know, they don't want to lose out. Google has been at the head of search for a long time, but Bing has really brought it to the table. Really has. Microsoft have done well here. And, you know, they showed us some great examples at the event. We're going to deep dive into that tomorrow, actually, on the show. We'll give you some more coverage from the Microsoft event. We have much more detail now, so we'll get into that tomorrow. But I want to focus on Google today because one thing that the problem has... (laughs) Google seems to have had anyway, is that it seems to be coming up with the wrong answer. So an advert that was brought out to advertise this new AI chatbot called Bard, B-A-R-D, showed answering a question incorrectly. Hmm. And the shares sank more than 7% on Wednesday this week, knocking $100 billion off the firm's market value, all because of this advert. And this is what happened. So in the promotion, known as Bard, which was released on Twitter on Monday, the bot was asked about what uh, to tell a nine-year-old about discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope. Okay, So that was the question. That was the query that was put forward. Tell a nine-year-old about discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope. Write it in a way that a nine-year-old would understand it. And it offered the response that the telescope was the first to take pictures of a planet outside the Earth's solar system when in fact that milestone was claimed by the European Very Large Telescope in 2004, a mistake quickly noted by astronomers on Twitter. And that cost the company $100 billion. That one error. So, not a great start, right? And is it fair to be critical about Google on this? I I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, you know, some people are saying, well, first off, why would you even show off? I mean, who's this? Chris Harrison in this article I'm reading here from uh, the BBC. Uh, Chris Harrison's a fellow at the Newcastle University in, in England. He says, why didn't you fact check this example before sharing it? That's a good point, okay? Uh, but then it goes on because it says that investors were left underwhelmed by the presentation the company gave about its plans to deploy AI in its products. And of course, the problem here is that Google has been under pressure since late last year when Microsoft's OpenAI project which they've invested millions, billions of dollars into, unveiled the new chat GPT software. And it quickly became a hit because of the way it was able to do lots of cool things like, you know, passing business school exam questions and, you know, composing song lyrics and all kinds of other stuff. And Microsoft, of course, this week have brought out this new version of its Bing search engine, which has lagged behind Google for a long time and has now shown that it can use its GPT features, the chat GPT features, in a much more advanced Form. Uh, Google says that the error highlighted the importance of a rigorous testing process, something that we're kicking off this week with our trusted tester program. We'll combine external feedback with our own internal testing to make sure Bard's responses meet a high bar for quality, safety, and roundedness in real world information. There you go. Um, And of course, this all comes on the backdrop of Google's parent company, Alphabet, cutting 12,000 jobs, about 6% of its workforce worldwide, amid layoffs at a number of leading tech giants. But again, I don't think we can pin anything, or I don't know, maybe we can, but I don't think we should be pinning anything on that, considering every company is laying people off in the minute. Even Zoom have just laid people off. Um, The fun's over at Zoom, it would appear. You know, the pandemic, everything grew, and suddenly everything's stagnating, especially something like Zoom. Is, uh, is noticing the change. Uh, but it is interesting to see these um, these products being put to the test. And, you know, I, I kind of feel in this, where we are with this, you know, there are going to be errors, there are going to be mistakes. And I think that's okay, because I think that what has been said by Satya Nadella for some time is that, and he's the CEO of Microsoft, if you're unaware, he has said this is very much the beginnings of a conversation. This is the draft that you have to check, that we need people to be fact-checking. You know, it's not going to be a perfect solution. Maybe it will get to that one day, 
But really, that's where the jobs and the opportunities come from, you know. And he talks a lot about this. And we're going to get into that, as I say, tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk more about that. But just, I, I wanted to mention this story because it just made me laugh. That, you know, one mistake, one screw up like that, $100 billion gone. Incredible. Uh, thank goodness we don't lose money here when I get something wrong. Otherwise, AMI would be bankrupt. Um, okay, so <laughs> moving on from that bombshell, uh, let's talk about access to work. So in the UK, there is a scheme, and there are similar schemes around the world that help disabled people in work. Uh, so there are schemes for uh, equivalents in education in the UK, but in workplace, if you go into a workplace and you're disabled, you can apply for what is called an access to work grant. And it's an amount of money that is available to you as a, as an individual in your job to assist you in various ways. So it could be travel, it could be, uh, you know, as I say, technology support, it could be a, an actual person to be with you. There are even people now using it to get IRA support. I'm, I'm hearing of that, which is really interesting. So I thought it'd be good to find out more about that, but also to find out what the crisis is at the minute, because it is in crisis. And it's actually getting to the stage where people who are disabled, and, and in this case with RNIB, they're hearing from blind people who are potentially losing their jobs before they've even started them because the support is not in place for months. That's the problem here. The support is just not in place quickly enough. So let's find out more about it. Rasheen Jackman is the policy officer at RNIB, Royal National Institute of Blind People, and she joins me now. Good to have you here on Double Tap. Oh, thanks for having me on. So I want to start at the beginning of this story, because for many people, they might not know what access to work is. So could you maybe explain to people who don't know what the UK scheme access to work is and, and how it helps disabled people? Yeah, of course. So access to work um, is a fantastic scheme that's provided by the government here in the UK. Um, it can provide a range of support um, to disabled people um, to help them kind of stay in work or find um, work. It can cover kind of a range of um, costs. It could support um, someone to have a support worker, um, maybe fund adaptations to the workplace um, or specialist equipment. Um, and for others, it could fund kind of their travel to the work. So it's really there to kind of provide funding um, and grants for anything that's beyond reasonable kind of for the employer to put in place um, for um, a disabled employee. And, and this is crucial, right, for many people who want to get into employment. This is one scheme which I know from, from living in the UK, from benefiting from the service, it's often considered to be one of the best kept secrets out there uh, by, by the UK government, right? It's almost as if people, you know, they don't talk about it because they feel if they talk about it, it'll go away. Um, but, you know, it is a service which really does enable people to access employment through, like you say, all these different ways of, of offering support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we hear time and time again from blind and partially sighted people that they just couldn't do their jobs um, without access to work. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really important scheme. And like you say, just not well known enough, not enough people kind of know about it and access mm. it. So what's gone wrong here? Because I, there are lots of reports of people who are waiting, it would appear weeks, if not months, to get support. And a lot of these people are, of course, people who are going into employment. So someone going into a job who may need that support, be it taxi support or, you know, hardware support or whatever it might be, um, that they're not getting that support in time. And am I right in saying that's actually impacting, in some cases, people's ability to even keep the jobs that they got? Yeah, that's right. At the minute, kind of, there's really significant delays to people um, applying to access to work or trying to claim back money through the scheme. Um, and yeah, we're really, really worried. It is threatening um, disabled people's jobs. Um, we're getting lots of calls from blind and partially sighted people um, who are having kind of job offers being withdrawn because of the delays and not having support put in place in time. Um, or other people who are kind of facing performance management or redundancy due to the delays. Um, so yeah, it's having a really, really devastating impact. And, and what is RNIB as an organisation doing about this? Is it is there anything you can do? Yeah, I guess there's quite a bit we can be doing um, as a sight loss organisation. Um, so for over a year now, we've been kind of in contact with the government, pushing them to do much more. Um, so really strong, a big part of that is like campaigning. Um, the delays, like 
especially now in kind of the middle of a cost of living crisis are just not acceptable. So we're kind of pushing and putting all the resources we can to push the government um, to put more resources into access to work so that they can tackle the delays. Um, we also have a really important and kind of employment um, department and they can provide kind of employment support to blind and partially sighted people. Um, so in the interim at the moment, we're kind of doing all we can to support people who are facing delays. Um, the team can provide kind of interim measures. So for some people, it might be kind of providing um a trial license on some assistive um, assistive um, tech. Um, so trying to do everything we can to kind of help people um, who are kind of caught in the queue. I mean, there obviously is challenges around the world right now and every government is facing its own version of an economic problem. And that is clearly an issue uh, which has dogged many governments and many government departments in different parts of the world. Is that applicable to this issue here or is this a long-term issue? Has this been going on longer than perhaps people realise? Yeah, it certainly has been going on since the pandemic. Um, but what we've seen is that it's got significantly worse. Um, in the last 12 months, we now have kind of 25,000 people who are kind of stuck in the queue. Um, and I think that's an increase of 10,000 in the last 12 months. So it's certainly got worse um, in the last year. And, and what are you encouraging people to do? Because, of course, if someone's in a job... Uh, or potentially, you know, going into a new job and they are speaking to their employer and they're telling their employer they need access to work support, they need to go through this, but there is a chance they may have to wait for that support. How how do you as an organisation, as a charity, how do you support that person? Because an employer could turn around and say, well, look, I need someone to do the job now. I need someone to start today. Yeah, which is something we're really worried about. Um, I think the first piece of advice we'd give is to get in touch with our helpline um, who can link people to our employment advisors and can provide that support that people might need. Um, certainly they're supporting people with kind of complaints, um, which is helping people to get the support that they need quicker. Um, I think also a really important one and something we can support with is involve kind of their MP or member of parliament. Um, and that's, again, something we can support with. Um, kind of the more we're pushing on this, kind of the more pressures there'll be for the government to address the delays. And does that then raise the question or the or the danger, I guess, that employers who may already be resistant to employing someone who is disabled might look at and, and hear this story and think, well, hang on, I'm, I'm really not going to employ this person now because I'm not going to get the support and almost use it as a justification not to employ someone with a disability. Is that, is, is that a danger? Is there any evidence of that happening? I think it is a real danger and something we really need to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, it's certainly something we're hearing um, when we're speaking to blind and partially sighted people that they have that fear. Internationally, people can find out more about RNIB on the website, rnib.org.uk. Uh, Rasheen, thank you so much for coming on to Double Tap today and telling us all about this unfolding story. Thanks very much, Stephen. And, you know, here on the show, we do try to cover stories from all around the world and bring you uh, an insight into what is going on. And that is a story which is, is quite horrifying, that blind and partially sighted people, disabled people generally, are waiting months for support that they need. Now, I remember going into my job and I waited two weeks to get support after an application. It was very swift. It moved quickly. And oftentimes the biggest challenge was, you know, the access to work teams working with the, the employer. You know, and the employer realizing what he or she had to do. Uh, and, you know, the great thing about this scheme and the reason why it's so positively seen by so many disabled people is because what it does is it removes a huge barrier for many employers who initially, like I say, are always almost terrified to employ someone who's disabled because they think, well, what are we going to have to do? I, I you know, in, in most people's cases, I think it's, it comes down to as, as simple as I just need someone to do the job. And I don't want to have to jump through all these hoops to get this person on board. Access to work solves a lot of that for people. Now, if you take that away, and not that it has been taken away, but it, the fact is because it's not available instantly and may take months, it may as well not be there. Because if that person has to wait months to get a JAWS license, months to get taxi support, they may not be able to come into the office to do the job. And the employer might turn around and say, and it does seem to be happening, as Rasheen has, has alluded to, that employers are just saying, do you know what? can't do this, can't do it, sorry, I need to get someone in who can do the job and I can't wait 10 months for that to happen. And that's of no fault to the disabled person. 
And that's, it's disgraceful that that's even happening. So clearly an issue, and I'm glad we could raise it here on the show today. Um, it has huge impacts. But, you know, important things to remember, though, in regards to tech support in particular, and I thought there was a good point that Rasheen picked up on there, you know, there are ways to get demonstrations of tech. So, for example, JAWS, screen reader, you can download the 40-minute version. Now, it's not perfect. Of course it's not, because every 40 minutes you've got to restart the system and you, then you've got to go through the whole thing again. But at least it gives you something. So it might give you a beginning of something. So, you know, talk to tech companies in the UK, for example, Sight and Sound Technology, or, you know, I don't know, there's lots of different companies out there that are doing different things, but talk to the companies local to you. Try and find out who they are. Get on Facebook, join groups, talk to other people who are in the employment, talk to other disabled people because they'll have answers. Get on Twitter, get on Mastodon, wherever you find yourself in social media land. Talk to other disabled people and try and get the support from them to give you the support you need to make sure you can find solutions. You know, for example, maybe narrator can get you by until this is resolved. You know, obviously that doesn't apply to things like travel to work. That's a very different thing. Because if you can't physically get to the office, that's a problem. But then maybe there's a way around that. If you can solve the technology problem, you could work from home. That might get you started. So it's it's you know, it is on the government to fix this in the UK, absolutely. But we as disabled people, and I say this often, we have to do our bit too. And we have to make sure that we do our part here. So if we can try and meet somewhere in the middle, it's not great. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that, oh, well, you know, it's okay. Well, great. I have to wait 10 months for my JAWS license. No, it's not good. It's terrible. But what else can you do? If you are at risk of losing the job, it might be better to try and do something else. Maybe try and find a solution elsewhere. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what else are we going to do? Lose the gig? Don't fancy that idea. It's hard enough to get a job as a disabled person. We all know that. I had a friend of mine once who told me that he lost, he, he got a job. He was a teacher and he lost his sight and he was sacked. This was at the time when pretty much you could get away with that. Don't think you could get away with it now, but he did at the time. He, he was sacked because he was blind. 237 applications later, he got a trainee post. A trainee post, a qualified teacher. And he ended up being a supply teacher in a school because they didn't really trust him to go in and do the job fully. But he got a job and he was happy with that. So that shows you the challenge. So when you get the job offer, you've got to do what you can to keep it, right? So anyway, it's an interesting story. Thank you to Rasheen for bringing us the news on it. We get a bit lighter, uh, a bit more lighthearted in the next segment because we're going to be joined by Kelly and Ramia from the Kelly and Ramia show from AMI-audio and, of course, now on AMI-tv weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're going to be talking to them about how they do what they do in the world of television uh, and making the move from radio into television. Exciting story, and always good to catch up with these two. They join us next on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And on the show today, I am joined by not one, but two special guests. Uh, they, they do come as a bit of a package, these two. Uh, in fact, I was reading a story recently, uh, just this week actually, about people at work having work spouses. So, you know, like at home, you might have your partner, and then at work, you have a spouse. I wonder if that's the case for these two. Uh, we've got Kelly and Ramia from the Kelly and Ramia show. <laughs> hey, guys. It's the most but- special introduction we've ever got. That is the um, what the on air spouses thing. Yeah. So that'll be the thing in the future. Stephen, remember back when you called us the on air spouses, <laughs> and then you had to wait a couple of minutes while we were like, "What, really? Uh, people oh, think come what, on. What, what? When do you think it'll confused? come out? When we finally get divorced, right? That's yeah, the that's story the thing. Yeah, yeah, when the show yeah. gets canceled, Rummy was God. Thank God. <laughs> it was just so long. It was only you know seven you years, but it, it felt yeah. like a thousand. I did a show once with a woman. I won't say her name for obvious reasons. Um, but I did a show with a woman once and we hated each other. We used to do oh, a man. Sunday morning no show and we did 10 till 2 on a Sunday morning and we just didn't go on. And in between the songs we'd play, we wouldn't talk. Oh. On air, though, we were like, I don't know, Salmonella. 
That's a bad example. Um, <laughs> other <laughs> I was other double acts are available. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were great. We, were, we got on like a house on fire on air. And off air, it was like a house on fire, but people were deceased in it. It (laughs) Wait, no, we had to break this down further, Stephen, because people say we can't fake it. So you guys faked it. Oh, we faked it, and we so, didn't really make it either. In fairness, but oh, yeah, we, I was just going to say, why it. are you not an actor then? Yeah, I know I should be, shouldn't I? I? You missed on, the calling. On air, we were we were brilliant. Uh, we were uh, Burton and Taylor, but when we were off air, we just we hated each other. We just we didn't get on, and it was funny because when we stopped doing the show, we actually started to get on with each other. Oh, how weird! <laughs> the on air chemistry. I yep. think it was. I think there was just egos getting in the way. Clearly, horse. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. Anyway, how, how's your show going? <laughs> now uh, we're egos, egos are getting in the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We can't get into our rooms. How much uh, longer can we fake it, Kels? That's right. As I say, fake it till you make it. Well, we're, we're not there yet. I think no. some would argue we are, I guess, when you are simulcast at a network on their audio channel and on the TV channel that you're doing mm-hmm. pretty darn good. And I, I'm sure we feel that way really, but we're still not quite there because we want people satisfied with the show to what they're used to. And Rum, would you say we're still, we're working not all out. We're still, it's a, it's a, as a one friend of mine says, it's a work in progress. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. It's always a work in progress. It was a work in progress before we started simulcasting. Uh, and right now there's just a lot to still be done, you know? Well, that's kind of why I wanted to bring you both on because, you know, a lot of my audience, you know, I've brought with me a swathe of people from the UK and other parts of the world who, you know, used to listen to me on the other show, Mm -hmm. uh, on the old show. And um, a lot of people aren't as aware of AMI more generally as they should be, as they should be, frankly. Uh, You know, if you're not listening to Kelly and Ramia and of course, Dave, hi, Dave. Um, you know, then frankly, it's a disgrace and you should be listening and checking out these shows. And we'll talk about how people can listen to you and all that stuff. But but it is interesting because, of course, recently, as you say, you moved to TV just at the turn of the year and you're now simulcasting. And I just wondered how you felt about that, because, you know, when I started doing Double Tap TV, I was terrified because I just TV's just not my thing. I'm just not a TV guy. I'm a radio guy. And you guys are doing the show you are doing, the radio show you are doing on TV. So it's it's even you know it, you're you're staying where you were, but you're at the same time kind of in this whole new environment. How did it feel of essentially having the cameras on you, mm. having everything you're doing be be watched at the same time? Well, honestly speaking, for me, I'm still getting used to it, right? Because like you're saying, we're all audio people. Um, I'm always still thinking it's an audio show with the visual elements. Like that's still how it feels to me, which means. You know, mentally, I haven't necessarily transitioned yet. Um, So all the things still feel new, the cameras, the direction, the being able to point at visual things that are going on screen, even if it's just for AD purposes, right? Stuff like that. Um, And supporting our contributors through it. So a lot of our contributors who come on the show regularly are blind or have low vision. So even that, you know, hearing from them, how was my presentation? Oh, right. We got to start giving feedback on that kind of thing. So it feels very new. I don't have prior experience doing so much TV once in a while, but not like, you know, Kelly, you've had experience on film and uh, television and with Blindsided with Kelly McDonald, stuff like that, but not for myself. So I'm always thinking, Am I going to find the comfort that I found in audio? And only time will tell with that. It's interesting because I look at it, I feel different in the sense of I'm a radio guy, just like you guys are, are, are radio people. It's what I went to school for. It's the dream I've always had. And when I got pushed into doing TV, thank you, David Arrington. Um, <laughs> when I got pushed into doing TV, I was very reluctant because I really wasn't interested. It was... Um, a means to an end because of my work circumstance. I wanted to spend more time in London. Did I see the wonderful benefit of being able to go out and talk to people and meet people in the community and do stuff? Yeah, that that was absolutely uh, uh, an amazing thing to get to do. And when people would stop me on the street and say, hey, I watch your show. And I like when you, I knew we were getting somewhere with making blind people, low vision, disabled people 
more mainstream, that people weren't shocked and asking me about what it was like to get out of bed and find my way to the studio or anything like that. It was being blind, you know. They wanted to know, well, weren't you scared doing this or that on your show? My God, I've been terrified. They put it in their in the realm of what they would ask anyone else. I consider what we're doing now radio. So I will remind myself you're on camera. As someone who's played with acting, sometimes I do know to use my hands a little bit, but I also know that generally I'm probably waving below the eye line of the camera or moving my hands around. And as a blind person, I was taught to use my hands, be you know, physical that way. But a lot of time I don't really have faith that I actually know this is the appropriate hand motion to use, is it? When showing width or something like that or saying that's great. Am I putting... I don't really know. So I I do hold back a little on that. I do remind myself, uh, you are on camera. Don't be leaning back in the chair and rubbing your, your face or, you know, anything that people are saying, you know, anything ugly. I think that for me, Stephen, is the area that I most worry about. Do I get a glazed look sometimes when I'm listening or how much <laughs> can people see me moving around my shoulders while I'm checking emails? I mean, I think those are the things for me. And being a radio person, the sound is the thing that would drive me crazy. When, when If I listen back to the podcast or watch a recording of the show, it's not the sound that we have right now. Oh, it is, it, that was mm-hmm. one of the first things for me that really threw me off. The first time we did the episode, I didn't have, I, well, I didn't have headphones so much. I just had an earbud in and I was listening to Mark and, and Mark Aflalo and I are talking, we're doing the show. And I, I could I couldn't hear myself. And I know this sounds weird to people, right? Though why are you obsessed mm-hmm. with hearing your own voice? Mm-hmm. But I was but, obsessed with this the first week, Stephen. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. it's this is the thing, right? When you do radio, it is kind of part of the deal that you get used to hearing your own voice. But you get used to hearing it in context of the show because you're yeah. driving a show. TV's so different because there are so many different people involved, there are so many different aspects to it. Other people are essentially taking what you're doing and, and turning it into something magical, which is brilliant. But it's a very different medium. And That's what I hated. And, and I it's hated like the, the microphone is the camera, isn't it? It's like the microphone's your camera. Yeah. And you feel that the camera's yes. miles away. So you feel so disconnected oh, in that respect. Such a good way to put it. Yep. And I hated the idea of TV when you talk about... Everyone involved. When I started doing TV, I didn't have the confidence to say, yeah, but I would do that. Or I w-. now I do. And now I can truly deliver what I want to deliver. The format, because we were asked to put this show on, they said, we want the audio show over on TV. Well, okay. Yeah. You know, there's going to be give and take with that. But I think the biggest thing for me with TV before was there was too many fingers in the pie and Mm -hmm. I didn't have the confidence to be assertive enough to say, nope. We're not doing it that way. I don't do that. Sorry. You know, we we don't go that way or whatever. I didn't have that in me. So it became one of those frustrating things that when I left TV, everybody would say, oh, you must miss TV. Are you kidding? (laughs) No. Yeah. With our audio show, the team dynamic was definitely something different. I don't. I don't want to say better or worse, but there were few of us working on the show. Whereas now it feels cool, though, like being part of a crew. And somebody asked me this the other day. How does it feel to be part of a TV crew? And I think that's a valid point. Like we have more people hands on deck, more people doing some very specific things. Right. Someone in charge of B-roll, someone in in charge of switching, someone in charge of just getting people on, getting people off, the director. That kind of thing uh, is very interesting to work alongside with, and especially because we're getting to know the team every single day, which is, you know, chemistry building. I feel like we're two teams because we still have our core um, Kelly and Ramya team Mm -hmm. that makes our decisions on content. So and nobody. That's true. That part of it exists says, from audio. Hey, why do you have this guest on Thursday coming in and five? Like no one questions that we. Yeah, yeah. They want us to roll out the show. We do what we're asked by our director. Uh, follow the bouncing ball given to us. So I, <laughs> I, I will say, versus, you know, hey Kelly, you know, as we shoot blind said, it'd be kind of cool to hang you upside down here for ten minutes and hit you in <laughs> the face with a pot. <laughs> director you know right in the face with the pie hang upside down why do i have to be upside down it's for the effect it looks visually stimulating um you know that doesn't go on right it's really hard to get into it's really hard to get into the visuals when you can't see them right you you just think i could not care less can we just talk to someone 
We just well, we don't have to care, yeah. Stephen. They'll roll out all sorts of B-roll. They could put stuff out, yeah, and we would have do. no idea. We just blah, 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 you keep scientists, talking. You have a great. You have as much fun as you like with all the images and pictures. You stick anything <laughs> you like up there. I actually think, you know, on your, your phone nowadays, you can do this thing where you can have a memoji. So I could be yes. like a dinosaur on the other end of a call. Do I, could one? I do that? Could we just have that? Oh, you want to be a memoji? Yeah, just I just want to be Misha. Just, just literally yeah. an avatar. Just, just let's do it. Yes, let's sure do it. Could. Surely technology could Instead do that Instead of like days. casual Fridays, we'll have memoji but, Fridays. Yeah, because see, <laughs> the problem is, Stephen, they get bored. If it's just one emoji, they're saying, oh, well, change it up at least. Become something else. <laughs> do you know what? It is funny, though, because radio to me was always jeans and T-shirt, whereas TV was wearing a suit. That's the way I always felt yeah. about it. And, and that was the difference for me. I always felt like I, someone had just inserted a rod up my backside before I would start doing a TV show. Right, okay, we're on TV now. And that was the way it it felt. And I think that that was the bit I always found challenging because it is a different discipline. It's a different way of working on it. And, you know, we've all been doing this for a a while now and it's taken taken me a lot longer to get used to it than I thought it would. Um, Don't tell me that. I struggle with the drifting. (laughs) Sorry. I I struggle with drifting. Yeah, that's the last thing you need what to tell Rummy. It's still taking time. For God's sake, when's this going to end? Five years in. No, it's still, oh. I mean, it's still, you know, one day I'll get I there. still feel like that rod's up my back. Yeah. I, I find drifting, Stephen. I, I'll get told because I'll stay, you know, we worry, stay on microphone, stay yes. on microphone. Well, yep. TV, it's stay on camera. He's going away. <laughs> but I wonder, it's interesting, right? Because if we were to sit with anybody else doing TV, they would be like, it's the best thing in the world. I love it. I think I wonder if a lot of it is to do with our blindness because I am very self-conscious on camera and I feel that, you know, I have a a tendency, I have noticed this, I have a tendency of having this this head turn where I kind of, it's the only place I get comfortable if I'm looking at, and if I'm trying to look at anything, if I turn my head to the right a little bit, it just gives me the position to to feel comfortable. It's it's to do with the nystagmus, I think. And it makes me look as if I'm not looking at the camera. Mm Mm-hmm. And nobody corrects me on it. No one says anything about it. No one seems to be too bothered by it, but I'm conscious of it. Do you prefer that people give look. you the feedback? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you think if you yeah. do give me real feedback, I'll probably just disappear and never come back. Right? Yeah, I, I wrestle I, with I, that. I really do. Because, you know, in one where way, I prefer it. you want to know that, well, I don't know. I'm not maybe speaking for everybody else, but I want to know what I look like on TV because you put me on TV. Yeah. But the other side of me is, okay, but there are certain things, you know, some people call blindisms or whatever, mm-hmm. just things that you do because you're blind, you don't have the visual stimulation or lack thereof. My head um, rocks from side to side yeah, sometimes. Yeah, well, stuff like that. Yeah. Or your position changes, you know, you start, like Kelly, you're saying fade away, right? That kind of thing. I prefer to have uh, the information because I want to know. Like yeah. in audio, you can tell, right? If you're away from the microphone yes. or if you're, if you're tired told, or Get all on that microphone. Stuff. Yep. Yeah. And you don't yeah. even have to know because most of it is audio feedback. So you, you can do hear know. It. Yeah. Exactly. You know yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of like like you, Stephen. I, I don't want to know necessarily, you know, like Remy says, I, I don't want to know how I look. Because I don't need anything that scary to know, but I do want to know how to be how to enhance the best look that I can give. Whether it's mm-hmm. you know, make sure your shirt's not wrinkly, stay stay centered. Oh my God, that shirt's no good for TV. Uh, I've been wearing out the people at Ira calling and and just doing clothes <laughs> matching, and it's like yes. I'm like you're here again, hey Kelly, another week. Oh yeah, it's Sunday, it's <laughs> Kelly Day. But the funny thing I've learned there is. Looking through the camera, yeah, what color is this shirt? Oh, that's a blue, beautiful blue shirt. The next day, hey, guys, this is a wonderful blue shirt, and I've got, what blue shirt? That's actually kind of like an oyster. What? Mm. It's an, you know, it's hard because of the camera and the trust that we have to have. Um, and and I've got enough wardrobe stuff where I'm not the greatest at remembering everything. I can say, oh, I think this is the so-and-so coat. But that, I think, also I like to have fun with, but it's kind of hard if someone says, well, that doesn't go with that damn fedora you like to wear. Now, I will say this, and we should probably say at this point, before they start ripping up the Kelly and Rami and <laughs> Double Tap TV contracts, um, I, I do think there's a reason we do this, clearly. And mm-hmm. like you, and it's funny you said this, Kelly, I'm really, uh, it, it's incredible you said this, that as soon as you were asked about television, and doing television way back, you just your immediate response was, no, that's not for me. I'm a radio guy. And I was exactly the same. I really, not rebelled it, but I, I just thought, I, I don't know what I can do in this medium that's going to work. I, I just yeah. don't, I don't know it. I don't know anything about it. And I think for me, it was a very personal thing because in radio, I prided myself on being able mm-hmm. to do the whole thing end to end. 
I can go mm-hmm. into a studio on my own. And I, I was talking about this just the other day on the show, actually, when I had a, a producer uh, a job I'd gone to, and th- this person, this g- g- girl uh, came in, called Nina, a lovely woman, and she came in and she said, I'm your producer today. And I said, okay, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm your producer. I, I press all the buttons and you just sit there and essentially just just do your thing. And I said, uh, okay. And I had, you know, like 15 years of commercial radio experience at that point where that's all I was doing. I was pushing the buttons. I was playing the jingles. I was, you know, making sure the intros were tight. I was doing all that stuff on my own. And then someone else is doing it for me. And I'm thinking, no, not that. I can't, this doesn't work for me. And I kind of wrestled back the control and said, no, no, I, I need to do this myself because then I'm in charge of it. I'm in control of it. The problem for me was with television, I didn't have any of that. None. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. It feels like zero. I'm a control freak. With, That's what we're getting at yeah. here. This has become a therapy <laughs> session. And I'm now telling you, I'm a control freak. When did freak. you first, uh, Stephen, recognize this? Yeah, well, I think he when just told us. When I was a baby. Us. Yeah, yeah, definitely when I was a baby, when I <laughs> grabbed the milk from them. My, I'd say my brother, but I don't have a brother. Um, but, you know, it just, I, I think that's the thing, right? That there is an, an element of control with this. And I think also, like we're saying, that sense of how we feel, how we look on screen. But equally, it's important we get the message out there. And I wonder what your experience yeah. has been so far. Because let's be honest about it. Yes, we know more people will watch. And ideally, that's more people from our community. And it does allow people who are low vision, for example, to enjoy the content in a new way. And that's that's obviously mm-hmm. very important. But it also gets to sighted people. And let's be honest about it. If we don't get them on side, we're kind of screwed, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we need to get more eyeballs that are working, ideally, on this content so we can actually further our cause and further show what what we are capable of. Your show does that. And I think like going back to the other part, which is low vision and blind people tuning in, I think that part is important too, Stephen. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. And because most people are going to talk about what we're talking about. Most people in the community are going to say, why are you a TV show? Why put this on TV? Wasn't it working on radio? What are we adding that's actually helpful for other people like us? And so we're in a nice sweet spot here, right? Where we're the hosts as well as the people who can say, well, you know, do we just want to dismiss all the visuals and the uh, imaging and the graphics and whatever? Or can we implement something into the show that makes those elements actually interesting for the blind low vision community? And we don't necessarily have the answers to all that yet, but these are questions we're working with. You know, um, are we providing AD? Is there a reason to point out when there's B-roll playing on the TV show. Mm. You know, does that make a difference for the podcast listeners? Like there's so much to navigate around that. And um, I think we can be more creative, you know, and, and not dismiss necessarily the the visuals altogether, but also understand that, yeah, this is a challenge that blind and low vision people are facing. Mm. And that coordination of if we're going to talk about B-roll or it needs to be described in some way, we have to be on side with what that is. Or if we're just talking about something and there's complimentary B-roll, we have to realize, does a low vision or blind person want to know or see or care about that any more than sighted yeah. people watching who, well, that doesn't really go with what they're talking about, but it's just it's just there for stimulation and it, people forget it moments later. But blind people, low vision people, we're just as affected by, oh, that's on TV now. What, why half the time will we go click something on TV where that's been on audio for ages? Or what's the excitement? Because we're part of the, the regular world where that's what people get excited about. Mm-hmm. And it's natural to say, oh, they're moving to TV. Yeah, I'll check it out. Well, yeah, but it's the same show basically that it was in December. Yeah, but I'll check it out. It's on TV. Yeah. Well, it just, it, it does. It makes it new. It makes it exciting. And it, you know, there is something about television. Of course there is, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there's a reason why radio is less successful than television and streaming services and all the rest of it, right? Because, you know, it's got a sexiness to it. It's got that aspect to it. I don't know if we're the people to put the sexy into it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we are. I don't or know. the credibility. It almost comes with its own. Well, if they're going to put you on TV, either they're saying under their breath, they'll put anyone. Or there's that certain <laughs> level of credibility that that it gives you whereas we're sitting here saying what are you talking about radio you can have wonderful long conversations not have to worry about you can't just show two people talking to somebody that's boring you know you you, on radio no one worries about that you do worry about length you do worry about changing your your interview up so you're not sticking to one topic too long with the guest and making it flow but it's a little bit different you can do that long stuff that on tv oh no 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 one's gonna stay watching that long now, look, this is allegedly a tech show, um, and occasionally we do bring that into the show. Why? Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, to, I'm, I like this, to be perfectly honest. I'm quite happy here. But, you know, I do want to bring in the tech a little bit because you've obviously, you know, had to adjust what you're doing. And, and I wonder how you're using technology, if at all, differently on the TV show versus doing it for radio first. I'm moving. Positioning. I'd say I'm doing the same thing I was on audio, um, which is using the screen reader to read my script out loud and things like that. But now... How are you coping with that? That's, is that not a nightmare? Well, trying to read are you hearing that and then you're reeling it live yes wow. yeah that's what I do wow that's what I've been doing for years now but um, with TV instead of having like the keyboard and the laptop at a comfortable default position where I would usually have it at now it's kind of like you know to the side the angle's different whatever uh, and then also we're getting way more feedback in our ears, right? The audio of our director, the guests, each other, um, time cues from a different person, that kind of thing, along with screen readers. So I've had to work on the panning of how much I can hear through what ear. Yeah. In your mixer board, That's right, been from an your board. Yeah. yeah, the mixing is different, basically. Um, yeah. I have to watch the microphones. I can't do all my silly sound effects. Like, I would never do the... Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I never do that on TV because people not? would see my chin. The wiggling. That audio is great. I, I have to tilt my head up. Here, it comes comes through cleaner. I can do, but I can't really do that too easy on TV. It seems to lose it. So we have to find some of those technical ways of uh, getting maybe maybe pre-record it. Um, my laptop, uh, I have on a t- uh, on the desk right where it is now. When I sit in front of the set, I bring over a hospital table, Stephen. Um, one of those ones that you would eat your meals off if you were sitting yeah. up on the, in the hospital bed. I roll that over because the one side, of course, is open. It can go right over my legs. I lower it to the lowest so it's way out of the camera shot. The mixer board's on there. The keyboard for the computer is a wireless one. So I can sit there with the headsets and same mixer board Rumya's talking about and panning my jaws in my ear uh, off to the side as well as listen to the feed of Rumya and whatever we're being told in these cheap headsets i mean these headsets that that i've currently got wait while i'm waiting for my real ones real the expensive ones yeah (laughs) we'll see august Um, july (laughs) (laughs) did you have any tech stuff Stephen? that you had to adjust to um i guess i i think the scripting part is something i'm still struggling with because what i did initially was i put a gigantic screen 40 inch monitor in below the camera and had my, I think the font I'm on now is 172 point, which doesn't get a lot on the screen, but no. you know, I, I letter of, by letter. Yeah. <laughs> Today's letter is D. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not great, but I'm working with it. I, I am actually currently sort of pushing through learning on Braille because that's, I feel that's the way to do it. For yes. Me. Even just to get basic notes, just, yeah. you know, like names, and, uh, just titles. for Stephen to get a Braille display. There's an excuse and they'll oh, maybe well, pay for it. Do you notice I've got one, right? And it's broken. It's just typical. Oh, it's not working. I keep Although, thinking about it too, just because, because I do the screen reader thing like Rumya, but I think, oh man, maybe it'd be all right yeah, to Braille have. would be so much better for you. Yeah, TV. come on guys. Come on. Just, Let's just yeah. do it. Um, yeah. just, but just go crazy. I, the reason I wanted to bring this up today as well is because obviously there's another aspect to all this, and that is the lot, there are a lot of blind people out there who want to make their own content and mm. they want to make their own YouTube channel shows. And I think that what we are doing on television is showing people it's possible. But I guess I'd ask you, and it's different, of course, with what we're doing because it's in a controlled environment. There's lots of teams of people. But, you know, starting out making your own content, how would you encourage someone to do that? I would do it the way way we first did. Like when I was told to put um, Kelly and company together, I was told to make it possible for two blind hosts to work the show. So when Rumi and I started doing the show, we both listened to the screen reader and feedback. Hey, man, this is great. Then we started to realize how many other people say, you do what? From our community. They, how do you listen? talk at the how i can't do that so then you go back to the drawing board saying oh gosh just kind of answering the same thing you're thinking there Stephen. how does someone wanting to start and again when i started doing tv i said to them there's only so much i can remember so even techniques like shooting me from a little more angled where i could hide my earbud in my in my one ear and listen to script doing the same thing I'm doing now. I had to walk and do these rants for Blindsided, and I I couldn't do it. I could, they were a minute and a half, two minutes long of me. So I was best to put that script in audio, hit play, 
and do the walking because how do you concentrate the same way while walking, trying to stay straight because it's for TV, it's got to look right, got to look like every step has been rehearsed and you know where you're going kind of thing or they're ready for whatever move you make. So I think those are the things people have to think about, but keep it simple. And if you need to read from something, but you know what? People see earbuds in people's head. And I think that's part of the problem for us. We don't know what that person hosting the daily show or wherever, what they're doing. So we sit here and think, oh, wow. I remember presenting in front of the CRTC and thinking I had to memorize everything, my portion of the presentation. And then I realized, why? Just listen to it through your computer. The sighted people are reading it. And the CRTC isn't, uh, well, we're deeply offended, you guys. You're reading your content. You should have this memorized if you're presenting. So I, I think you really got to know yourself and not sweat the small stuff these days. It's sort of like sweating. How come everybody's being interviewed on that Zoom or, or on Skype? It sounds whatever. We're used to it now. Yeah, yeah, just really interesting. Uh, guys, I could talk to you all day, but I really do appreciate your time. Uh, you're on air, of course, every day at 2 uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, that is. And uh, on podcast as well, right? You can listen to the mm-hmm. whole show there. Yep. That's right. Yeah, they, they upload it in two, in two halves. And people can also listen live uh, through AMI-audio. Uh, and people in Canada can catch us on the TV. Brilliant. Well, on listen, AMI have TV. a great show, as always. Thanks, um, Thank you. Rami, I hope you're feeling better, because you weren't feeling too great. You were feeling poorly. Uh, and yet I got invited on all the shows to talk. So, yeah. you guys, hard life, right? <laughs> At least you turned up. I'm still waiting for Sean Priest to turn back oh, up. Just, yeah. <laughs> still waiting. Sean alone. It, it'll be a while too for Sean. You know, oh, <laughs> he's, yes. just, he's just going to play it to the hilt. At least he should anyway. I'll he's send having him an email. so much fun right now. He's been looked after like a lord. He is. Oh, he is loving it. He's like, I'm not Shh, please, back. please. My co-host is. Mouth? Yeah, and, and stop. Watch what you say. My co-host is allegedly coming back to work soon uh, on Uh-oh. the show. If you keep saying this stuff, they'll be. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm not feeling right. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. I'm very easily influenced. Quite right, too. Uh, listen, thank you both for coming on. Everyone go check out Kelly and Ramia's show on AMI-audio and on AMI-tv. Full details at AMI.ca. Thank you guys for coming on here. Thank you for listening today. Feedback at doubletaponair.com is our email address. one 803 4567 is our listener line number. Get in touch. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.